Welcome to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocca. We're talking today with Nell Moffat and Rick Bowers, two historians who have been working as hard as anyone to find solutions to the problems of homelessness. Uh, Nell and Rick, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. So I want to hear a little bit about what you're currently working on, but also a little bit about your background. How did you, how did you come to this place where you are on a daily basis working on issues of homelessness? Well, quite a surprise to us. It wasn't anything that we brought here with us, uh, but basically when we moved to Astoria, bought a house here, um, we were, uh, had not yet spent a winter here, and so we were a little concerned about hibernating too much. Uh, so we did not put internet in our house, and of course our, our business, our work, uh, depends on that. So we had to go out to the library to do our work. And in the course of that, walking in town and uh, spending time in the library, we began meeting people who were homeless um, and talking to them, finding out their names. They, they became people and personalities for us. Um, and that's for the first time in b both of our lives have we had that personal contact. So uh, we just began to get more connected and interested with uh, what kinds of services there are here. And then when the host, uh, the Homelessness Solutions Task Force started up, we uh, sat in the peanut gallery. We weren't members of it, but we're interested in the conversation. So that also helped us to meet uh, many of the people in Astoria who provide services and to learn more about what services there are and, and aren't. Um, so that's pretty much where we got hooked. Yeah, I think the other background is uh, We've been teaching at Helping Hands, nonviolent yeah. communication. So Helping Hands in Seaside, when they were there, terrific program, reentry, recovery type program. And it wasn't the focus of what we were doing, but we heard a lot of stories from people. And it was just mind-boggling to see the, the hurdles. You know, we may be all created equal, but boy, shortly thereafter, we grow up in different environments. And I think it was a window into to that that also it helped us explore what's going on you know once we started meeting some friends in the library so there's one other thing that really pulled us in uh, was we began to hear about people who were being cited for sleeping on the streets and of course it, it's pretty clear that uh, all of the places that have been fenced off and I began walking around town thinking if, if I were homeless, where would I go to sleep to get out of the rain? And, um, and then uh, when we started hearing about some of the citations that people who are homeless receive and then accumulate, we were really concerned with that. Um, and then the city started talking about uh, banning camping in the woods around town. And so it, it really brought to our attention how much of the interactions in, uh, with the city and the homeless were about uh, telling them where they can't be. Um, and so we felt called to um, give our three-minute speech in the 
a letter to the town council at that time um, just saying we need to be telling people where they can go rather than just narrowing uh, uh, all of the possibilities for them. So that really got us into a, a, a public advocacy kind of arena uh, for the first time. And um, so that's kind of how it all began. It's interesting that you were kind of accidentally in a situation where you were meeting personally and talking yes. personally with people who had no place to live. Yeah. Yes. And that kind of breaks down the ability to see them as the other or to see them Absolutely. as them yeah. or, or to, to lump them into a, a homogenous group because yes. they're not. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit about who, who the homeless are. Who are the people who are homeless, who are unsheltered in, in our community? Boy, everybody's got a different story, and I think that's the, the thing we've really learned. Um, we just encountered uh, a person that we'd gotten to know in the library, and uh, her partner recently died, and he was major support for her. And they were, I'm guessing, living in the back of his pickup truck. But uh, she suddenly finds herself lost mm -hmm. and it's tough to find support it's tough to find services he's been staying in the warming center and uh, she's got uh, not a great great outlook on life at this point you know just stuck in that what do I do what do I do mm -hmm. uh, so that's one um, well I think a lot of people who think about the homeless may think, oh yeah, they're a bunch of alcoholics or right. they're a bunch of addicts right. and so on. Thank you. What yeah. else is there? Yeah. And certainly there's a lot of alcoholism, drug abuse, and cigarette smoking that goes on. But it's kind of a chicken and egg thing is what we've encountered. Uh, you find yourself homeless. Even if you come from a you know, reasonable middle class background, suddenly what do you do with yourself? And I think in many cases, the, the drugs and alcohol follow the homelessness and not necessarily the other way around. I'm sure it works both ways, but we've read articles about people who uh, middle class lost their job and then, holy cow, what do I do with my day? Right. We're, I'm volunteering at the Warming Center. I encountered someone in just that position uh, some years ago where he had been married and there was a divorce and then he lost a job and he was renting which most people are actually uh, at this point in time, and all of a sudden couldn't make his rent payments. And the next thing he knew, something he never expected, he was out on the street. Exactly. And then he said, wow, you get into a survival mode where it's where do you stay? What do you eat? How do you keep your clothes dry? And so he would, would want to go get another job, but he would go into apply and he would just see how people looked at him. Yeah, and there's a part in it's part in the application where you you put your address in, yeah, and he didn't have one, and uh, so the warming center kind of was the saving grace for him because he was able to clean his clothes, dry out, shower, shave, look presentable, and he in fact did go and and get a job, yeah. But we also know, and you probably know better than than anyone, that there are a lot of homeless people out there who don't drink. Yes. Who don't smoke? Yep. Who aren't addicted to anything? They're just in a in a, a tough place because all of a sudden something happened they weren't expecting. A lot of them women who may be escaping relationships that were abusive. Yeah, yeah. 
when we first started delving into this, I'm kind of a data nerd, so I was curious, you know, where, where are all the homeless coming from? So I started looking at the stats, and if you look at the research, almost 50% of the variation from state to state in homeless rates is associated with rental prices. And it's, it's no big surprise when you stop and think about it that, you know, housing's expensive, guess what's going to happen if you're making, you know, fairly low wages? You end up on the street. I, the economics economists even refer to it as the rational choice principle to end up homeless versus spending 80% of your income on rent. Right, which is really untenable. You can't do that and actually pay your bills and, and live. Yeah. And this community in this region actually in the past uh, 10, 15 years has seen an enormous increase in just the cost of housing. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing I looked at was referred to as the ACEs score, Adverse Childhood Experiences score. And it's basically a real quick and dirty uh, uh, inquiry of what your life was like growing up. Did you have alcoholic parents, uh, divorce in the family? A whole series of questions like that. And it was originally a Kaiser study related to long-term health issues. But they've since found out that the normal population, the general population, on a range of zero through eight of these adverse experiences, most of the population is in the zero. There's fewer yet in the one, and it starts trailing off until the general population out at the number eight, virtually none. If you look at the homeless population and what they face growing up, it's just the mirror image. Most of the homeless, the people who have experienced homelessness, have eight on the ACEs score, eight adverse childhood experience categories, and then it starts tapering off. Mm -hmm. So these people, you know, they have an interesting background, interesting in, in air quotes, uh, that create a lot of challenges in their life. So what is it that we have? What seems to be working? And, and what is it we don't have that we need to add? What we don't have is housing. We just took a, a woman over to CCA, um, and CCA has their handful of things that they can, can That's do. That's class of community action. Right. Right, okay. Um, and... Uh, but when it comes to where she's going to sleep tonight or tomorrow or for the, the next week, there's nothing for mm -hmm. her in that location. And um, you, what they will do is say, go and sign up at NOAA for your two-year wait, uh, if you're lucky, to get a place. Uh, go to um, the Northwest Senior and Disabilities Center, and you might be able to get... Um, on a list, but you've got to be at a certain age to, uh, a, you've got to be a senior, 55 or o older, to um, access some of those services. Um, but there, there is no em emergency uh, shelters. Mm -hmm. We have, um, in Astoria, we're fortunate to have the seasonal warming shelter. Um, so as long as the weather is rotten, uh, there's a, a place to sleep there. Uh, it's um, not the 
best cir circumstance. I don't think any of us would enjoy sleeping there. Mm -hmm. So, but it is a shelter. Um, so, we really need um, a progressive stage of housing. So, for people, so the emergency housing, and then what's their next step? Some transitional housing, and what's their next step? some next layer that's a, uh, maybe that they start paying and it's affordable for them. And then what's that next step? We, we don't have any of that here. Mm -hmm. So uh, the solution to homelessness is housing. Everything else is a Band-Aid. And I'm glad we have the warming center, but uh, it's true that you can't go in there until after 7 o'clock. And you have to be out at 8 o'clock in the morning, and it doesn't matter what the weather like is outside. It could right, be yeah. a blizzard, right. and you're still the home. The warming center can't be open right. um, other than those times. We also have people in town who uh, are trying to help by feeding. Yes. We have the, the folks who feed along the riverfront. and Filling empty the, bellies. Empty yeah. bellies. The warming center obviously also serves uh, food, which is provided uh, gratis by several of our restaurants in town, yeah. uh, which is really a wonderful thing. Some people um, say, well, you're just enabling them to, to remain homeless because it doesn't fix anything. And I guess it's true that feeding them doesn't fix anything, but Nell, I know you have some opinions about the term mm -hmm. enabling. Would you I care do. to share them? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try to uh, get around this this one, get through it to some depth here. Um, it's a very troubling word for me. And I think that it comes from uh, a legitimate source. As far as I can tell, it's really coming from the uh, Al-Anon uh, family of alcoholics. Uh, to, to recognize that very often the family is contributing to someone not, a, a, a grown child not taking responsibility for their own life because they can just uh, rely on mom. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there is, uh, I think, some valid uh, concerns and valid training in that area. But homelessness is not that same issue. It's not family uh, who's part of the uh, part of the problem in that way, or potentially part of the problem. So in uh, with homelessness, what, what I would like to call on is our sense of community. And everyone needs support of some kind or another at various times in our lives. We're a human community and hopefully a compassionate community so that when we see someone uh, that needs a pair of socks, uh, we're generous and we give them a pair of socks. Um, what we want to do, though, as a community, that, that's the base, basic level, is keeping people alive and supporting them in their next steps. So... Um, we want to provi provide a path and empowerment for people to um, put their lives back together. And I, I think in order to really bring this compassion in, we need to recognize that our systems of government, of, um, of zoning, of uh, construction, 
um, favor those who have resources and um, very often cause the loss of housing that uh, people are experiencing. And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, we were just driving through Longview um, last week, and there's a, a road there that circles around to get to the highway. And we noticed that probably about 20 houses along the road were all boarded up. And my guess is that they're going to widen the road. So all of our urban development, all of our highway systems around urban areas have come at the expense of uh, the kind of housing that is affordable uh, at lower ends of the scale. And when we wipe that out, it's not generally replaced with anything. So that's certainly no fault of the people who end up homeless as a result. Mm -hmm. So if we start uh, offering them a, uh, a drop-in center or a, a warming center, how is that enabling uh, what we as a society have caused them? Um, it's really hopefully taking responsibility for making a community that works for everyone and uh, reaching out in ways that are truly helpful. So um, I, I find that this word enabling uh, trips people up and prevents them from doing the, the human thing that they might otherwise do for fear of uh, doing the wrong thing. Uh, and I'd say it's not the wrong thing <laughs> to help out somebody in need. It seems like a lot of the things we are doing now that sometimes are called enabling are, are pretty small things that are really just to temporarily lessen the misery a bit. Yes. You know, a bologna sandwich on the riverfront is not going to lead someone to a life of homelessness, certainly. And even the warming center, um, it's, it's better than being outdoors freezing on a, a rainy, icy uh, winter evening. But it's, it's not a life. No. Well, you mentioned uh, a, a drop-in center, a resource center, and that's something I know you have been working on. So tell us about what that is or what that could be. Yeah, that goes back to the issue of telling people about where they can be. Um, the, you, you brought this up a little bit in terms of the appearance of, of homeless people, and it, it very often will raise uh, judgment or disgust from people. And um, so when they walk into the library or any place where there is a mixed crowd, they, they get the sense that they're not welcome when, they're, when that vibe is put out there. So that just adds to the burden. Uh, they know that they aren't clean. They'd love to have a way of getting clean, and they don't have a way of getting clean. They're just trying to survive and get their their feet warm. Um, so and to have a legal place to be. So we don't enjoy seeing groups of homeless people hanging out on in downtown. We don't enjoy seeing homeless people uh, hanging out and. Um, uh, other places where there might be children. I hear people are afraid of the homeless people with, with their children. We don't enjoy seeing them um, with their sleeping bags uh, on their, over their shoulders or underneath a little 
um, roof to try and keep dry. Um, and we've eliminated a lot of the places where they might seek shelter. So uh, I understand that, and they need a place to be, just to exist where they're accepted and allowed to be. Um, we easily recognize the need for senior citizens that are isolated to socialize, and we have a senior center for them where they can gather and play games and um, do um, line dancing and uh, the various activities that there are there for seniors. People who are homeless also have needs for uh, acceptance and belonging and socialization and an opportunity to uh, further their um, their skills in terms of writing job applications and whatever it, it may be that they're they're trying to do. So uh, I think the uh, drop-in center serves a really important need for the homeless community to have that place where they're allowed to be and they receive um, supports for for furthering themselves and taking responsibility for running the center and uh, having some uh, respectful activities. Furthermore, um, it also provides a way for people who do provide services to find the homeless, mm -hmm. to come to them, to bring the services to them in a place where the, the people who are homeless feel at home and secure rather than having them go all over the county trying to get transportation and make appointments and um, uh, go and see a, a, people, a person here and then another person on the other side of town. It takes a lot of energy to um, navigate the system. Um, also, they very often fall through the cracks because there is a handoff that, that doesn't land somewhere, whereas if they're in their own uh, space, they can make an appointment for somebody who comes in and they just come to the same space and see that person who meets them there. We've heard, for example, some people who sign up on the list for NOAA for Section 8 vouchers, and uh, when their name comes up, for some reason, the letter or the communication uh, doesn't find them and they lose their spot. So mm -hmm. they go back over to NOAA and, and find that they uh, missed the opportunity and now that they're at the bottom of the two-year wait list again. I mean, that, that's just cruel uh, in my world. Um, so a drop-in center provides that hub, that place to find them, the place for them to be uh, and to begin to develop their self-confidence, develop their skills, develop their, um, their ability to survive. Another belief some people have that I just want to touch on briefly is the, the idea that people are homeless because they want to be, that this is just a lifestyle that they prefer. Any reaction to that? One of the problems with any of these um, characteriza characterizations of homeless people is that it tends to... Uh, define the whole group. So the whole group is not uh, choosing to be homeless. The whole group is not uh, alcoholic and doing drugs. 
um, there is a, a variety of people. Some, some people are uh, mentally handicapped. Some are physically handicapped. Some have uh, come under uh, dire circumstances, like you've already described, losing a job and then uh, not being able to pay rent. Um, we have um, a segment of our population who's homeless that are working. Um, we've got people who are living in their cars and, and actually employed, but they can't yet afford um, the, um, the entry level for renting a place. So there's a mix in the population. So to describe the homeless as any one of those is um, just a flawed perception. Yeah, so you did touch on the idea of housing for everyone, and that kind of points to the HUDs, housing and urban developments, uh, evidence-based housing first model. And the traditional model has been you know, people start in a basically a shelter, and as they prove themselves, you know, getting a little bit clean and sober and whatnot, they work themselves up through transitional housing and eventually into housing. And the housing first model is you actually put them in a housing first, distributed housing, so they're not all in the same location, and then have case management wraparound services. And... Uh, Study after study after study shows that that's a very workable model and has a huge success rate of keeping people um, on the straight and narrow. I don't like that term, but there we go. Uh, but there is one reason why it won't work, and that is if you don't have affordable housing. And that's where we're stuck here. Right. And that's where, again, these interim solutions like the tiny homes and whatnot seem to make a lot of sense to me because... You know, to to build an apartment, basically you're talking upwards of two hundred thousand for each unit. It takes a lot of money to build our way out of the homeless solution that route, and tiny homes are much more affordable. What's the thing I missed that you would most like people to know about? I guess from my perspective, it it's around the blame the victim. I get real frustrated with that. I mean, we look around and and especially drive around Portland, you see these huge encampments of, of tents and whatnot, it's real easy to blame the victim. And as I've researched this, it's, it's just clear that it's the other way around, that we have a long history of, of getting rid of low-end housing in this country that's had the unintended consequence of making it tough for a lot of people. And again, the adverse childhood experiences, tough, tough growing up. And I'm just hoping at some point we'll get over blame the victim and, like helping hands, give them a hand up. Thanks, Rick. Nell, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Uh, so with the Housing First model, uh, it kind of demonstrates that because it's successful, that all of the factors that, that we tend to associate with people that are homeless are not their characteristics. They are a function of being homeless. Mm -hmm. When it takes all of your energy to try and figure out uh, how to survive, there's very little energy left over for anything else. And so when you house them, you've given them hope, you've given them support, you've given them a sense of community, you've given them case management, and now they see a path out. 
And a feeling of normalcy. And a yeah. feeling of normalcy yeah. and respect, mm -hmm. self-respect even. So uh, those are the building blocks for turning the life around. Nell Moffat, Rick Bowers, two uh, really good friends of the Unsheltered. Mm -hmm. It's a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I so much appreciate the work that you are doing. Thank mm -hmm. you. This Thank has you. been The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocca. <laughs>